0: 2 Peter chapter 3, if you would please. We've taken a few minutes this particular month of October, and now we're in November going through the book of 2 Peter. Just by way of review, 2 Peter is written by Peter as an old man 30 years after Jesus has now gone back to heaven. 30 years have gone by, lots of ministries. He's the apostle to the Jews And a lot of things have gone on in the life of Peter, but now he knows he's going to leave this tabernacle, this tent that he lives in, in verse 17 of chapter 1, he said, I'm going to leave this tabernacle and I'm going into the presence of the Lord. But before he leaves, he wants to write a letter, a letter of exhortation in chapter 1, a letter of explanation and warning in chapter 2. And in chapter 3, he gives them a letter of anticipation. Jesus is coming again. He tells them in the first chapter, he says, listen, put your faith in the person of Jesus, in the promises of Jesus, in the power of Jesus. Grow in grace, grow, add to your faith. If you have faith in Jesus, you have a divine nature that determines your appetites, your behavior, your environment, your associations. Grow and take that divine nature and add to your faith, virtue, purity, separation. You'll never grow to a love relationship with Jesus unless you separate from things that are counterproductive to that relationship. The Bible tells us very clearly in Proverbs chapter 18, he said, Through desire, a man having separated himself, and seeketh intermed with all wisdom. Christianity without separation is not going to be effective, God-pleasing Christianity. There has to be a line drawn in the sand. There has to be a decision. Yeah, listen, I'm not here just to appease God. I'm here to please Him. I want things to be different. I want to be different, not to not to um, blend into this world, but to stand out. Not to be better than somebody else, but to be uh, attractive to the Lord Jesus Christ and attract. Let your light so shine before men. They may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He tells them, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance. And then begins to tell them to add those things culminating with charity, which is the beautiful attribute of every true believer. And he says, when you do these things and when you add these things to your life, there's three things that will come. You'll be fruitful, you'll have vision, and you won't fall you won't stumble across the finish line of Christianity. You'll stay, you'll stay upright, you'll do what you're supposed to do. Then he tells them that you need to not only give growth in your Christian experience, but I, he, he challenges us to give attention to divine revelation, the scriptures. He said, the Bible did not come in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, in verse 21 of chapter one. And then in chapter two, he does say, look, You're going to have some false prophets out there. They're going to give a message that is wrong in the source, wrong in the subject, wrong on salvation, wrong on sanctification. And their lives are going to mirror that. Their message is wrong. Their mantra, their manners are wrong. And you better stay alert to it because they are like uh, sick dogs and dirty hogs. They'll go back to the vomit that they vomited. They will go back to the mud hole where they came from. doesn't matter how good they look on the outside. They're, they're bad news, and be careful because doctrine determines destiny. False teachers are all over the place. And you can't everybody can't be right. That's something that's, that's clean. And by the way, clean doctrine leads to clean living. Every once in a while you find out well, we believe the same, we just practice differently. No, doctrine will determine not only your destiny, but also your lifestyle. You believe differently, you're going to live differently. I don't know about you, but if someone told me, if I was driving, and I turned on WBBM or something, they said, you know what, we just found out that Tylenol has been proven in laboratory tests to cause cancer. Well, I would probably say, well, everything causes cancer. But if I went down the road and I saw a big billboard and they're putting up this thing, Tylenol being sued for cancer. Oh man, I'd say, well that's the second time today. What about that? And you know somebody else, I went to work or someplace and said, hey, you know what? I wouldn't take that Tylenol, I'll tell you. My aunt took Tylenol and she's got cancer. I got home and I said to Linda, man, I got a little headache. She says, you want Tylenol? Is he trying to kill me, Linda, or what? What I heard affected what I believed. Affected what I would decide to do. I might decide to live with a headache or go get equate or something, you know. (laughs) Stay away from Tylenol. Because what you hear affects how you decide. What you decide affects how you live. And it's just a kind of a little uh, domino effect on that situation. Ultimately deciding what kind of lifestyle I live and what kind of an end I will have. So he's telling us that. Then in chapter 3, he turns the page from the warning about false prophets, and he says, look, Jesus is coming again. He's gonna come again. He goes, I told you in verse number one, I'm gonna write this second epistle to you for two purposes. Number one, to remind you of what you need to hear and to stir you up. The truth of the matter is that most Christians need revival most of the time. So what's revival? It's stirring us up. In a few weeks, we're going to have a prayer revival. It's going to start on a Sunday and then conclude on a Wednesday. It's going to go a Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. I'm going to ask you to consider coming as many as you could possibly come because I want us to be revived in this area of prayer. Say, Pastor, that's after the election. We can stop praying. No, no, we'll need to keep praying. I'd like to call the church to consider praying tomorrow, maybe fasting at least one meal. You can fast the whole day, fast the whole day. Give one day to say, God, whatever your future is for our country, for our church, for, for, for the world, uh, I feel like I, I don't want to go into the election without having given time to pray and fast. Brother Collins in the college has got up a little thing to ask the people to, I love America, pray for at least one hour on election day and to take 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, 15 minutes there, or 30 minutes two times, or one hour a whole time giving one hour to just praying for our country and its leaders and its civil unrest and all the things going on. I do believe, and we're watching, this, this fall has been a beautiful thing, beautiful testimonies of people being drawn to Jesus Christ. Had a lady stood over here, the visitor welcome. she said, Pastor, she said, I'm from Texas. I've lived in Chicago for 12 years. My aunt has been calling me. My aunt is a believer been calling me and telling me, you need to get in church. You need to get in church. Where could you go to church? And I'm just like, oh, the church are all closed down. Then, then he pointed to, to a young lady and said, then she knocked on my door. This is my second Sunday here. I don't know all that God's doing there, but he's done something. Had a beautiful lady who couldn't come today because of some challenges, but she came and she said, over here in this row right here, on a Sunday morning. She came back the next Sunday. She accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior right there in that about fourth or fifth row. She's so happy. She was supposed to be in discipleship today. She's going to come next week, Lord willing. But she told me, she said, you know, I was just thinking, I didn't know people would actually come to your door and knock on your door. Because I was praying that God would direct me to a church because I know something's missing inside of me. And then... Brother so-and-so knocked on my door. I didn't know people did that today. But when he knocked, I knew I was supposed to be on that bus and to take my family and go. And now she's going to heaven. Now she's going to have eternal life forever because someone came. and God is calling people, not only here but around the world. And I think all of us ought to be praying for that. It ought to be stirred up in our pure minds. By the way, if you don't have a pure mind, it's hard to stir you up. Look at verse number one, would you please? Chapter three, verse one, the second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by the way of remembrance, reminding us of things we ought to know and causing us to stir up. Then he talks about there'll be scoffers in the last day. And he's going to stir them up and remind them that Jesus is coming again. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to remember that His Son is coming back. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will what? Come again, receive you that where I am, that where you may be also. One of the things that helps us live pure is knowing that our Savior is coming. He's our brother, we're included in the family of God, and we're to be pure even as He is pure. That's one of the motivations, to live holy and to live right, because He's coming again, ready or not. And then the scoffers will be there, and they'll scoff, and they'll give criticism uh, on, based upon three things. They'll reject the coming of Christ based upon their lustly endeavors. Because if you're, if you're anticipating the coming of Christ, your life is going to be different. And they don't want to be different. They still want to do what they want to do on their terms without the direction of the Holy Spirit of God and without uh, holiness. So their lusty endeavors will cause them to reject that. They're logical conclusions that, that's taken so long, everybody and every generation is saying, Jesus is going to come back, and he still hasn't come back yet. So logically, they try to combat it with logic. And then they try to combat it with just a lack of interest. The Bible says they were willingly ignorant. They don't even want to know. They don't care about the facts. All they care about is what they want. And boy, we live in that day and time. Who cares about the truth? Let's just, let's just give me your opinion. Truth is irrelevant. It doesn't really matter. It's the only, only thing that matters if it, it can be made up and people would rather believe a lie than to face the truth of something. And It's the age in which we live. We have the age, they call it the age of unraveling. Well, that's, that's a good name for our age. Just we're getting unraveled, the homes are unraveled, the lives are unraveled, government's unraveled. It's just, it's, it's bizarre how crazy things are. But he said the scoffers will always come in. Remember, scoffing is usually a substitute for substance. If you ever get in an argument with someone and, and, and that you make a good point, they don't have a comeback, oftentimes when you're trying to witness to people, they'll just start laughing at you. Oh, you're so stupid. You believe that? Ha 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 You hear what he just said? It's because they don't have any substance to return. So they choose to laugh and scoff and make fun. And the night shows are full of it. The Conans and the... The Jimmy Fallon's and all that stuff. Just just mock the Bill Maher's of the day. Just mock, make fun. And try to get people to laugh at truth and laugh at even sin oftentimes. He said, scoffers are going to come. He said, but, Peter, he reminds him, he says, listen, there's there's three real reasons why Jesus is coming back. Number one is promise. You can look at chapter 3, verse number 9 the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. And of course, even those in verse number four, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Uh, the, he said, Peter said, look, there's one reason why you can believe Jesus is coming back. He said he's going to do it. If I told you I'd meet you somewhere at four o'clock tomorrow morning, take your, ch- take your chances, okay? <laughs> I might oversleep. I might have a car breakdown. My battery might be dead. Something might happen. But if God tells you he's going to do something, you can trust him. You can trust him," he said. "The first reason that you want to you want to believe in the in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is because of the promise of God. The second reason is because when He comes back, He's going to bring judgment, and He's powerful to do that." He said, "The world that once was, it was created by God. It was corrupted by sin. It was condemned by a flood." He said, "Now the world that is." is laid up in store and treasured like a bank account that is bank account full of fire. I'm sure Dr. Cowley can come up here and wax elegant on, uh, on the uh, nuclear things and I don't understand all about that. Some, some person was telling me that, that a particular neutron or whatever, something goes around it a billion times every millionth of a second. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Someone said, this pulpit is fire. Your clothes are fire. There's stored up fire in here. If all of this is molecules and the buildings fire, your cars fire, every substance that you see is fire, one day it's going to, it's going to let loose, and God, who, who is the one who sustains all things, is gonna, is gonna back off and let every stinking atom out there go crazy. Let everything, all that stuff that comes that, that, that God keeps in in orbit, around each other, blow up, and then we get all kinds of issues, and that's going to happen. Everything we have is going to burn with a, with a fervent heat. See, say, Pastor, why in the world should I believe the coming of Christ? Number one is because of the promise of the Lord. Number two is because of the power of God. Well, why hasn't He come back yet? What's He waiting for? The scoffers say. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but He is what? The patience of God. If God lets us have an opportunity in this next few years, a parenthesis, a space of grace, an opportunity to do things, regardless of where our nation goes and who is elected in each of our houses and our executive branch, Every one of us ought to be passionate about saying, Lord, because of your patience, you still give me breath in my lungs. You still give me fight inside of me. You still give me a passion. You still give me the gospel and the great commission. Let me do something. Not just sit and watch the world goodbye and hope you have a good economic year. If you have a good economic year, when God blesses you more, let it elevate your standard of giving, not just your standard of living. Just go out and find something else that you can... Get all you can, can all you get, sit in your can, and tell everybody how much is in your can. Just try to put more stuff in your closet, more stuff in your attic, more stuff in your garage. Some of that stuff needs to be matriculated into the gospel kingdom work. But he tells them, listen, why hasn't he come back? Because he's patient. But he's got power and he's got a promise. He's coming back. With that in mind, there are four things that I think he's going to see. And I want you to look at verse number 11, would you please? What's the first word you see in verse verse 11? Yeah. He said, verse number 10, the day of the Lord. And I think that really speaks not necessarily of the rapture, but I think it speaks of the rapture through the millennium period, That's what I think it means. I think it's talking about that whole thing. So when the Lord comes and he starts that with a rapture, At a time where you don't know the day or the hour when the Son of Man cometh, I think he's talking about the day of the Lord. He said, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. No one knocks on your door at three o'clock in the morning and says, I'm going to rob you, so get ready. They come unexpected. They come in disguise. They come in a way that you're not expecting them. He said, when the Lord comes, the day of the Lord is going to come suddenly. It's going to come powerfully. It's going to come unexpectedly. And then with that in mind, the coming of Christ, what, what's the so what about it? What, why should it change my life? What should it do about me tomorrow on November the 2nd, 2020? How should I be different? What should I be thinking about? How should it affect my prayer life? How should it affect my purity? How should it affect my motives, my conduct, my entertainment, my spending? Why? He says in verse number 11, Seeing that these that then all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? He said, okay, if this is all going to happen, that God's promise to come back in power and His patience while He waits for people to get saved, if this is going to happen and all these things are going to be dissolved, speaking of, um, of, chemi- of chemical reactions and so forth and so on, that this is going to be taking place, Scientifically, then what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? I want to tell you something real quickly. With the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, it ought to do one thing for all of us who are Christians. It ought to cause us to be dedicated to holiness. That we ought to live holy, act holy, talk holy, entertain holy, everything. Some of us wouldn't know holiness if it slapped us upside the face. We think holiness is attending church once a week and thinks we're killing the big one. I think holiness is singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And that was what made me feel fuzzy wuzzy. There's a little bit more to holiness than that. He said it ought to be played out in your conduct. You're using the word conversation, how we live. Let's look at the next one. So, number one, we ought to be dedicated in all of our holy conversation. Number 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the God, wherein the heavens being on fire, being dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. I don't know that Peter was all that much of a scientist, but in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he's given us some scientific stuff here. Verse 13, nevertheless, we according to his what? Have you caught on the word promise is showing up here a couple times? We look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth what? Righteousness. Verse number 14. Wherefore, beloved brethren, seeing, and here you see the word seeing the second time here in this passage Scripture, that you look for such things, not only be dedicated, but be that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. <laughs> he said, i tell you what you want to do. Hey, while you're waiting for the Lord from heaven, what should it be, the motivating factor of the Lord's coming back? A dedicated life and a diligent pursuit. Notice what what three things there he said. I want you to be diligent to do what? Being found in him, how? In peace. I don't know about you, but I, I would like to be known whenever they lay this cold, dead body in the casket and my wife and kids... If I Lord lets me have the service right here, like Brother Colson did the other day, whenever that may be, whether it's this week or 25 years from now, whenever I'm laying there, I would like to think that I had this attribute, and you did too. You'd like this. It's a peaceful person. He had the peace of God on him. He brought peace. Girls, you'd want the, your grandkids to say, my grandmother was a woman of peace. And peace is not something you want. it's something that you have to make. Blessed are the peace makers. It's going to come with a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about His name being a peace, a peaceful name. He said, "Listen, if, if you have the coming of Christ on your head, it ought to de- you ought got to be dedicated to live in a holy way, a God-pleasing, godly way that my attributes would be His attributes, vice versa. And number two, that I would be known for being peace and not spotted with this world. Jesus tells us that in John chapter 17. He said, look, when he was praying to the Father in the high priestly prayer, one of the most beautiful chapters in your Bible, Jesus is talking to his Father, and he's talking to the Father about you, and he's talking about me. He said, Lord, I don't want you to take them out of the world, but I want you to keep the world out of them. James reiterates that in James chapter 1 where he says, if a man says he's religious, he said, you can tell this. He said, if a person's religious, you can tell by three ways. His tongue will be bridled, his life will be benevolent, he'll be a giving person, and he'll keep himself unspotted from the world. As we approach the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're closer than any other generation has ever been, And the promise of God is still true. The scoffers are still uh, laughing out of lack of substance, and they can laugh their way into the lake of fire. They can't laugh their way out of it. But if he's coming back, what it ought to ring my bell as a child of God is I need to live a dedicated life. And some of us, it's less than dedicated. And we ought to live diligent, to be peaceful, right with God, right with others. you got somebody you got a problem with, knock it off. Life is too short, Jesus is coming again. Why are you holding a stinking grudge against somebody? You're not at peace, you're drinking liquid draino, hoping it hurts a person and hurts you. Live at peace and keep yourself unspotted from the world. Keep yourself from being worldly. You live in the world, but won't the world be on you? Then he challenged us in verse number 19, I'm gonna read the rest of the verses, verse 15. Or verse 17, excuse me. But verse 15 first, the account of the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Thank God that he brought, he was patient with us and brought us salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also. But aren't you glad that Peter called Paul beloved? Paul ripped his face off in Acts chapter 15, and he still loves it. They had a tight, they had a little bit of a terse argument, terse conversation. He says, now, I want to write to you, because he had heard already some of these clowns crying about what Paul said. He said, "Just like our beloved Paul, I'm glad that he got over it. He had enough character and enough um, maturity to look beyond someone's fault and see their need and love them. Not spend your life being angry with somebody who said something bad about you or somebody else. Forget about it. Like what Lee, what uh, Lee, or, uh, let's see, uh, brother Roloff said. You know, whenever someone was saying bad things about him, David Gibbs said, man, does that get on your nerves? He goes, it's not supposed to. I'm dead. (laughs) I'm supposed to be crucified with Christ. I'm supposed to be dead to myself. So if it gets on my nerves, it's not really them. It's me. It's me the problem. It says here, by my beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given unto him that is written unto you and as also all of his epistles, he writes about the coming of Christ in all of his, of his, of his letters. By the way, for just for the sake of information, an epistle is not an apostle's wife. Okay. Some of you said, really? Oh, wow. An epistle is a letter, okay? Just keep that in mind for a test question there at Hammond Baptist or City Baptist there or Hiles Anderson College, I don't know. As also in his epistles or his letters, speaking in them these things, in which some things hard to be understood, which they, which are unlearned and unstable, rest or wrestle with. They have a hard time with it. As they also wrestle with other scriptures, I think, and unto their own destruction. Verse number 17. Here's the fourth thing we do in the coming of the Lord. We're dedicated to holiness. We're diligent to work with peace and without spotted from the world, blameless, holy, without something sticking to us negatively. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away from the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. He said, be careful that no one leads you by false teaching or air of the wicked. You wanna make sure you discern right from wrong. Be careful, I wonder how many How many lives have been destroyed because of a a click they made on a YouTube, the false teacher. A friend who said, Hey, I want you to read this. I remember years ago I had, I went through a period of time for about six months, I was bitter, and it was a sinful season in my life, a wasted season in my life. I feel so embarrassed by it. But it started with a friend, so-called. Inviting me over to his house, showing me this, giving me this situation. And all it was doing is generating curiosity, negative feelings. He was just like shoveling, shoveling poison into my, and I was eating it as fast as he could give it to me. And did nothing but just rob me. I robbed myself of six months of bitterness because I let somebody start talking to me showing me stuff, sending me links, watch this, see this, tell me what you think about this. And none of it was about the purity of Jesus. None of it was about soul winning, none of it was about discipling converts, none of it has been a help to anybody. All it was is one poisoned person poisoning me with their poison. And it just ruined me. Could have ruined me for my whole life. Thank God for his mercy and his kindness and his conviction. Thank God that I moved away from that situation and no longer had that contact with them. Some time ago, I was driving near where that person used to live, and I just thank God. I was driving by. I said, Dear God, thank you. Thank you that you got me away from that influence because it just made me, it made me less productive, more focused on a negative thing where the Bible says that we are focused on things that are pure and lovely and of good report. Garbage in, garbage out. It started with an individual. As Paul said to the church of Galatians. Hey, you did run well. Who hindered you? Who stepped in and got you off track? I'm telling you, when there was a teenager gone wrong, there's almost always a who. There's some podcasts they're listening to. There's somebody out there that's got this in their ear. I was talking to a young man not too long ago, and he was struggling, and and no, he, he, just the question was, who is he listening to? Who has his heart? Unfortunately, some fellow who doesn't even give a rip about him has his heart. He cares more about that podcast than he does about his godly dad and mom. He cares more about what that guy that doesn't even know his name doesn't care about him. He listens to him all the time. He gets all this information from this clown. He didn't didn't change his diaper. He didn't feed him a meal. He didn't pay for his school bill. He didn't help him in any way in his entire life. And all of a sudden, he's given all of his allegiance over to somebody just because they're a smooth talker, a false teacher, an apostate, leading him down a wrong road. He says, you've got the coming of Christ. Let me tell you, the devil's elevating his his crew to try to get you into the air of the wicked. And the last thing I'm gonna do is determine that I am gonna grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. With Jesus coming again, you and I ought to say, you know what, I'm living a dedicated holy life. I'm gonna figure out what that looks like and I wanna do it. I am gonna be diligent to be a peacemaker and I'm gonna keep myself blameless and unspotted in this wicked world. I'm gonna discern what I hear and make sure I'm not tricked by the error of the wicked and I'm going to keep on growing in grace and the knowledge of who? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Say, Pastor, it sounds so gobbledygook, learning about Jesus. It's not, friend. Try it, you'll like it. He'll never fail you. Jesus is coming again. May it be a motivation, not just a jargon that we use. May it motivate us, I want to live pure. When he comes, I want to be very comfortable with him and on him, comfortable with me. I want to make sure I'm diligent to live peaceably and pure as well. I want to discern so I don't get caught up in the air of the wicked. I want to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior.